So good morning, everybody. And if you want to mess with somebody today, just go up to some random stranger that you don't know and apologize for something, and uh, you'll have a little bit of fun like those guys did. Well, if you're wondering what in the world does that video have anything to do with church this morning, well, let me explain that it highlights a word that we're going to explore in our Words to Live By series. And if you're new with us, we're in the middle of a series, actually not in the middle, we're towards the end of this series. And in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring the power of simple words and how those simple words can transform our lives, help us live a little bit more like Jesus, if we'll just learn how to leverage these words effectively. So I need some help from those of you who have been with us in this series so far. So we've had five weeks so far, and I want you to help me remember, and everybody else, what we've looked at so far. So week one, we looked at the word? No. Week two? Yes. Week three? Help. Week four? Thank Okay, so the participation's getting lower and lower as as we go by in the weeks. And uh, it's funny because that wasn't that long ago. So last week we looked at the word enough. Yes. And as we looked at the word enough, we learned that our lives are not measured by the abundance of things that we have. Our lives are measured by a relationship with God. And there were six people last week that said, I want that. I want in, I want a relationship with Jesus. So six people in our three services that raised their hand and said, I need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So would you be praying for those people? Be praying for those six people um, in this new journey that they're on. And um, today we are going to look at a word that is very difficult for me to say. It may not be hard for you to say, but it's difficult for me to say. And it starts with S, it ends with Ari. Thank you for saying it for me. So yeah, the word sorry is a word that we like to hear other people say. It's a word we know it's super important, but it's a word that many of us struggle with. And you may not have this problem. We may be talking about other people out there, okay? So we may be talking about the person sitting next to you. So let's brainstorm together why people have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. So what are some reasons? Don't like to admit they're wrong. Like admit they're wrong. That is me. Ego. Yes. Yeah. So we're talking about me this morning. Pride, ego. Don't like to admit I'm wrong. What else? Don't want to take responsibility. Yep. Somebody said in the first service, I don't feel like I need to. I don't feel like I've done anything wrong. So sometimes somebody's in that spot. There's all kinds of reasons why we struggle to say we're sorry, but um, this next question, answer this for me. Why is it important for people to say they're sorry for things they've done wrong? It acknowledges what happened. Yes, super important. What else? What's that? It helps to clear your conscience? Absolutely, yeah. Helps you move forward? Uh, forgiveness. It helps us to restore relationships that have been broken. So I think we understand how incredibly important it is for other people to say they're sorry and for us to learn how to say we're sorry. But let me ask this. How many of you would say that somebody taught you really well how to genuinely apologize for what you've done wrong? How many would say, you know, somebody really taught me well how to do that? You look around. Not a whole lot of hands there. 
As I've kind of looked around our, our world, uh, what I've seen this morning in our first and our second service the, by the raise of hands is something that I, I feel like I see out there. I feel like there's a whole lot of people in our world that don't really know how to apologize, don't really know how to genuinely say they're sorry for stuff that they've done wrong. So here's an example of that, and this kind of goes back a number of years in my life, but uh, when uh, my wife and I had our first two kids, so Sydney and Maddie, they were about four and two, so a number of years ago, we lived in Virginia, and we had some other friends that had kids about their same age, and so we spent some time together, went to church together, and we, we'd hang out together, we were trying to parent our kids together. And one of the things that we noticed about their parenting style with uh, one of their kids specifically, their oldest child, was that uh, they really struggled with teaching their child effectively how to, to use the words, I'm sorry, when that kid did something that they shouldn't do. And so what would happen in their interaction, you know, kids are kids and they do something they shouldn't do. And so what they would say to their daughter was, now say you're sorry, and she would fold her arms and scrunch her face and say, sorry. And they would say, okay, now go play. And Tammy and I would look at each other and go like, what in the world just happened? Like, where'd they get that parenting strategy? That was terrible. What they're teaching her is how to use the word sorry as a get out of jail free card. So she thinks she's saying sorry, but she's not genuinely apologizing for what she's done. So one night, this couple decided to go out on a date, and they dropped their kids off at our house. And uh, within just a few minutes of their wonderful bundle of joy daughter coming to our home and playing with my daughters, so she went down the hallway around the corner to where my girls were playing. And then within seconds, one of my kids is crying. And so I walk down the hall to see what's going on to find her holding a little plastic hammer that one of our kids had. And it was a hard little hammer and one of my kids holding their head. And so I've summarized, well, I bet you hit my daughter on her head. That's not a good thing. So this girl looks at me and says, I didn't do anything, throws the hammer at me and says, sorry. <laughs> so I thought, you know, it's a perfect opportunity for me to step in and help parent this little girl. So she and I sat in timeout all night long talking about how to genuinely apologize for when you've done things that are hurtful. And um, she never came back to her house after that. I'm not sure what happened. I don't know. They found another babysitter. I don't, I don't know what happened there, but she never came back. But that reminded me that you know, there are many of us that don't really know how to apologize genuinely when we've done things wrong. So we're going to learn how to do that this morning, and we're going to learn from an Old Testament character by the name of David. So if you know the story of David and Goliath, if you've ever heard that story, that's the story we're talking about. Well, actually, we're not talking about the David and Goliath story. We're talking about David's story when David became king. David became king of one of the most powerful nations at that time. It was growing in power. It was the nation of Israel. And David is a real unique man because in Scripture, God says that David was a man after his own heart. Nobody else has that label in scripture. So God and David have a very close relationship. And we're gonna look at David's story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. 
And as we look at his story, I want you to look for a few other words that are connected to the word sorry. So in scripture, you won't see the words I'm sorry very often, but you'll see the words confession and the words repentance. So be looking for those two words as we walk through the story. And this morning, if you are, let's say you're not a Christ follower and you're just kind of checking church out, trying to see if, you know, if God has any, you know, possibly any value to add to your life, um, as you look at these words and as you learn what we're going to talk about today, you may say like, wow, that's kind of strange, like that's kind of bizarre, but I, I think this can help all of us learn what God expects of all of his followers when it comes to learning how to say we're sorry. So we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says this, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Verse 2. Late one afternoon... After his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, verse 4. And David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. And she had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Now, uh, even if you're new to the Bible, you may recognize that that's not the actions of a man after God's own heart. And uh, David led himself into a spot that he shouldn't have been in. And there were several reasons that he got himself into that spot. Reason number one is he wasn't where he should have been. So that verse, as it starts, it tells us in the springtime when kings normally go off to war. So David should have been in battle. That's what David had always done with his warriors. He had always led them into battle. He was always a part of that group. He was always leading from out front, but not this time. This time, and we're not sure why, but David stayed home. We're not sure if David stayed home because he felt like he deserved it, We're not sure if he stayed home because he felt like he needed a break. We're not sure. But this time David stayed home. And that led him into a spot of temptation that he gave into. And if we aren't careful, we can find ourselves in the same spot. You know, there are moments we can kind of trip ourselves into believing, you know what, like I've, I've served God for a long time in my life. I've done the right thing over and over and over again. You know, this time I can sit this out like this weekend or this week or this night or these next 10 minutes, whatever. I don't really have to do what God wants me to do. And in those moments, we can convince ourselves that we need a break, you know, from following all of God's rules, or like we deserve a break for all that we've done for so long. And that mentality can get us to lower our convictions and not recognize the truth that that God still holds us to, that God still wants us to, to live out and to live by, and it can lead to some painful consequences. Now, the second thing that led to David being in that spot was he ignored someone who tried to stop him. 
And you may have over, like, read over that really quickly in that story, but when David recognized Bathsheba as this beautiful woman he wanted to, to spend some time with, he sent a servant to go find out who she was, and that servant came back and said, she is the daughter of Eliam. He should have stopped there. In that culture, it was customary to identify somebody by who their dad was or who their grandfather was. But this servant went on and said, and David, and she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, Uriah was one of David's trusted warriors who was off in battle. That should have been something that that caused David to pause and go, wait a minute, what am I thinking here? This woman is married. She's married to one of my trusted warriors. Like, I can't do this. But David ignored a servant who tried to stop him. On a personal level, the same thing can happen to us. And maybe in your life, maybe you've got a trusted friend. Maybe there's somebody around you who's courageous enough to say to you, like, hey, what you're thinking of doing is not right. What you're doing is not right. You know, maybe you've got somebody who's courageous enough to say, like, listen, she's married, or he's married. Like, like what you're thinking is completely wrong. Like, you need to, to stop right now and get on another path in your life. But if we don't listen to those people, we ignore them and head on into dangerous waters where real trouble lies. And that's what happened for David. So verse 5 tells us, That later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So imagine David receiving this this note or receiving this message, and he's got a decision to make. Like, oh no, I've been caught. What do I do? Do I confess my sin? Do I confront this and deal with this now? Or do I hide it? Like, do I try to cover it up and act like this never happened? And that's what David decided to do. Uh, verse 6 tells us that David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David, and when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, hey, go on home and relax. So this is basically what David was hoping would happen. Uriah would go home, sleep with his wife, and then no one would know that the baby's his except Bathsheba and David and God and his servants that he ignored, you know, except all those people. But nobody else would know. But Uriah had such conviction. He says to the king, he says, listen, my men are off in battle. How could I come home and enjoy my home and enjoy my wife? I couldn't do that. And so Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace to protect the king. Wow, what a guy. So David comes up with another strategy. He says, I know, I'm going to invite Uriah over and I'm going to get him drunk. Because no drunk man would not go home to his wife after being off at war. So that's what he does. Uriah's drunk. And Uriah has such deep conviction that drunkenness could not sway him. He would not go home to his wife. He slept out the entrance of the palace again. So David has another decision to make. What do I do? Do I I deal with this stuff or do I keep trying to cover it up and make things worse? And so David kept covering things up and he made things worse. He decided to order the murder of Uriah. 
He wrote a note to Joab, and he gave it to Uriah to deliver. And Uriah didn't read it, handed it to Joab, and the letter read, put Uriah in the worst part of the battle, then pull away from him so he dies. And that's what happened. So David, the man after God's own heart, was guilty of adultery, stealing another man's wife, and then guilty of murder. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27, says, The Lord was displeased with David and what he had done. God was so displeased that he decided to confront David, and he decided to use a man named Nathan to do that. Imagine being Nathan, being asked to go confront the king. And he did. He courageously did. But he he went into the king's court, and he he confronted the king in kind of a roundabout way. He told him a story. So he, he enters the court, and he says, King, I got a story for you. The king says, yeah, what's your story? He says, listen, there's a rich man who has all kinds of sheep. And then there's a poor man. He has one little lamb, and it's a special little lamb. It's a lamb that he loves, and he takes care of. He feeds it like it's one of his own kids. It's so special to him. And the rich man has a guest come by one day, and he decides, you know, I'm going to feed my guest dinner. I don't want to slaughter any of my lambs, so I'm going to go take the poor man's lamb. So he takes the poor man's lamb, slaughters it, and feeds it to his, his, uh, his guest. That was the story, real simple story. And Scripture says that David became so furious as he listened to this story. 2 Samuel 12, verse 5 says, he was so furious, he said, as surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the man for the one that he stole and for having no pity. Isn't David's response very interesting? I mean, he is so furious about like this silly little story that Nathan tells him. He doesn't see that the story's about him. He doesn't recognize he's that man. And so Nathan has to get brutally honest. And he says to David, David, you are that man. You're the man who stole another man's wife. You're the man who murdered another man, an innocent man. David, you are that man. Imagine how awkward that moment might have been. So David has another decision to make. Is he going to confess his sin? Or is he going to keep running and keep hiding? He could have easily ordered the execution of Nathan for confronting the king that way in his court in front of others. He could have done that. But verse 13 tells us he finally confessed his sin. Verse 13 says, I have sinned against the Lord. David said that. He stopped running. He confessed his sin before God. He confessed his sin before Nathan. He confessed his sin before his servants that were there. And then later, David wrote in Psalms 51 about this encounter. I want you to listen to the depths of his confession. In verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my... What's that next word? Rebellion. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night, and against you and you alone have I sinned, for I have done what is evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. So David didn't 
just give some slight acknowledgement and fold his arms and say, sorry. David didn't uh, take partial blame for this and say, well, you know, I mean, this really wouldn't have happened if Bathsheba weren't out, you know, on her roof taking a bath. David took full responsibility. He confessed. He repented. And I think David reached the depths of apology that God is looking for from us. And I think David reached the depths of apology that we are, interestingly enough, looking for from other people. When somebody has hurt us, that's what we're looking for. Somebody to reach to the depths of apology and to recognize what they've done. Now, I actually think there are four levels of apology. Number one's not really a level, but we kind of label it one today. And level one of apology is where we kind of say, sorry. Well, we're not really sorry. Like, we just think it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. Level two is when we say, you know, I, I am sorry. But we don't label what we're sorry for. We're not specific about it. We're just kind of general. Level three is where we say, I'm sorry for what I said to you. I'm sorry for how I hurt you. I'm sorry for whatever. Fill in the blank. We're specific, and it shows that we recognize what we have done is wrong. It's not just this general blanket, I'm just generally sorry. It's no, I, I recognize that in that moment that what I did, that was wrong. And then level four is when we say I'm sorry, and we're very specific, and then we hang around to fix what we've damaged. That's one of the hardest things for people to do. Sometimes we'll say we're sorry. Maybe we'll even say we're sorry for whatever. And then we don't really want to be around that person much more. We don't really want to talk about that issue anymore. Let's just not deal with that anymore because we're just kind of embarrassed or our pride is, has been hurt or whatever. Like we're, we just really don't like to look at that stuff. But level four says, I'm sorry. I'm specific for what I've done. And I will fix what I've damaged. I will fix the trust that I've broken in our relationship. I will hang out and do whatever is necessary to make this right. That's the kind of apology that God is looking for from us if you're a Christ follower. That's the kind of apology he's looking for from us in our relationship with him. So maybe that's what we need to talk to him about is that level of apology in restoring something with God. It's also the kind of thing that God looks for when we apologize to other people and make things right with them. And so as David reached the depths of apology, a genuine apology, he found forgiveness. God forgave him of adultery and murder. And were there natural consequences that David would face? Absolutely. And I encourage you to read more of that story in 2 Samuel. You'll find out what some of those natural consequences were. But David received forgiveness from God. And he wrote about that as well. In Psalms 32, listen to what David said about God's forgiveness. He said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And finally, finally, I confessed all my sin to you 
And I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. The same thing can happen for us. When we confess our sin to God, we can experience what David was talking about. We can experience that, that joy that he talked about. We can experience the joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and having a, a clear conscience in our relationship with God. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That God will forgive us. So it doesn't matter what you've done. If you confess your sin to God, you can be forgiven. So I'm just wondering if there's anybody here today who might need to confess anything to God. There's anybody here today who's maybe been like David, like maybe you've made some poor choices and maybe you've been running from that stuff for far too long and maybe this morning God says, it's it's time to stop. It's time to deal with this. Confess it so you can receive the forgiveness that I can give. Here's a Uh, sometimes a more challenging aspect of the forgiveness issue. So it's beyond maybe talking to God and uh, it's hard enough to confess our sin to God sometimes, but um, does anybody here need to confess something to somebody else or apologize to somebody else for something that you've done? Sometimes it's harder to do that because we're looking to the eyes of somebody else who's looking back at us. And we have to take responsibility for what we've done. We have to take ownership Uh, We have to be specific, and we really need to fix what we've damaged, and that can be a really challenging thing. So let me give you um, an example from my life, and uh, just so you know how God works with me and stuff like this, when I'm working on a message, often God's asking me, what's a personal example from your life? And uh, that's always super fun. Uh, you know, because I'm like, you want me to talk about that stuff in front of, you know, several hundred people three times on Sunday morning? And usually God says yes. And uh, so when we got to this message again, uh, God said, so, hey, I want you to talk about that. And I said, I really don't want to talk about that. We'll talk about something else. We'll talk about, hey, maybe we'll have somebody share their story of how they apologized to somebody else. That would be really great. God said, no, like, I need you to give a personal example. So, Here's my personal example. Early in my marriage, I hurt my wife very deeply. And for a few years, I denied it. I ran from it. I said, it's not my issue, it's your issue. And as I was doing that, the Holy Spirit was convicting me, saying what you're doing is wrong. What you need to do is take responsibility for this, full responsibility, and fix what you've damaged. I didn't want to do that, so I ran. A couple of years into marriage, this subject came up again, and instead of running from it or denying it, I just said nothing. Just my silence, I thought, was, you know, kind of gave word that, hey, I'm kind of sorry, but I didn't say anything. And that went on for a little while. A few years later, the Holy Spirit kept convicting me. You need to deal with this. And so I got to the spot where I said, all right, you know, I'm sick of carrying this around. I felt like David, like, man, this burden of guilt is on me so heavy. It's crushing me. 
Like, I got to deal with this stuff. And so I said, all right, next time this thing comes up, I'm going to deal with it. God's perfect timing. It came up. And so I stopped running and said uh, to my wife, I'm sorry. And I started to learn how to be specific for what I was sorry for. And I began the journey of rebuilding what I had damaged. It took me nine years to say I was sorry. Nine years. Since then, uh, I've been rebuilding for the past 16 years. And in December, my wife and I will be married 25 years. And I am so grateful for what we've been able to build over the past 16 years. And it all centers around two words. I'm sorry. I'm genuinely sorry. I'm genuinely sorry and being specific for what I'm sorry for. I'm genuinely sorry being specific and then hanging around to rebuild what's been damaged. So that's my story. But what about you and your life? Is there anybody you need to confess anything to? Is there anybody you need to talk to and say, listen, like beyond just sorry, like I'm sorry. I'm genuinely sorry for what I've done and I'm going to hang out and I'm going to do everything I can to fix what I've damaged. So this morning, as we wrap up, I, I hope that you'll make a determination to do that. Like if you've been running for a long time, like today would be a wonderful day to stop running. It'd be a wonderful day to say, all right, I'm done. Like David, like I'm finished. I'm going to address this now. And this morning could be that, that moment that you make that decision to talk to somebody. Maybe the person you need to talk to is sitting next to you. And maybe when you leave today and you're climbing your car and you're, you're driving home, maybe you need to start that conversation or have that conversation at home. Or maybe you need to make a phone call later today to somebody. Or maybe you need to make an appointment with somebody to sit down with them personally. Or maybe you need to write them a letter because maybe what's happened has created such uh, tension in your relationship that you can't really be face-to-face with them right now. So maybe you need to email them or write them a letter. Or maybe you just need to work that out between you and God because maybe you're not even allowed to talk to them in any context. I'm not sure what your situation is, but is there anybody you need to apologize to this morning? And is there anybody that needs to confess something to God? So maybe you need to like just be honest and stop running and just talk to God directly for something that you've been running from for a very long time, and maybe it's time, maybe this morning, it's time for you to do that. As we close today, our worship team is going to guide us through a song called Come to the Altar. It's a song we've done here recently. It's a great song, and it gives us the context of coming to God in the moment where there's sin in our lives, and and we need to get forgiveness. And it gives us the idea of, like, Jesus is, is right here waiting and calling, and he's saying, come on, let's go. You've been carrying a burden for far too long. Like, lay that burden down. You can lay it down right now. Come here and talk to me. Confess this so that you can walk out with the joy of forgiveness. So whatever you need to do this morning, I pray that you'll decide to do that. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Lord, this word, sorry, is such a difficult word for many of us to say.
Lord, I know I've had struggles in my own life with that word. And yet, God, it's, it's the word that uh, you want us as your followers to be quick to say and learn how to say and learn the depths of it and to be kind of level four apology people. So this morning, Lord, there might be somebody here who's recognizing they need to confess something to you. They need to repent of something that they've been running from for a long time. They haven't looked at, they haven't wanted to recognize that their pride's kept them from it or their ego or whatever. And Lord, maybe this morning, today's message, maybe you're still using Nathan to step in front of somebody and say, whoa, time out. Like what you're doing is wrong. Like you are that person who needs to confess to God. And Lord, maybe there's somebody else who's recognizing they've hurt somebody. It could be recently. It could have been a long time ago. And maybe you're saying today is the day. Now is the time. Make a plan. Confess that to that person. And don't just do a slight acknowledgement, but reach to the depths of what David reached for and confess that. Be specific. And then begin the work of rebuilding what's been damaged. Lord, I pray that we would be that that kind of people. We would be that kind of church. Level four kind of apology people that we hang out and we rebuild what we've damaged. And in that, Lord, I think we can discover this incredible joy that you offer for those whose disobedience is forgiven. And Lord, I pray that we would all walk out here today just a little different, maybe a little lighter from our pain, a little bit lighter from our guilt as we lay it down here this morning and determine to live a different life. So today we come to the altar to talk to you about anything we may need to confess to you or to someone else. In Jesus' name, amen.